either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, most movie theaters still not open, but we have a pretty solid group of streaming releases to talk about this week. Glad you're here to join us. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and we'll start this week with a covert team of immortal mercenaries suddenly exposed and now fighting to keep their identity a secret just as an unexpected new member is discovered. This is the Old Guard. I lead a group of soldiers. Fighters like you. With an extremely rare skill set. What do you mean? Let's just say we're very hard to kill. I have the new one. And? I think she has potential. <laughs> so you good guys or bad guys? Depends on the century. So we really never die. Just because we keep living doesn't mean we stop hurting. <laughs> Throughout history, we've protected this world, fighting in the shadows. Well, right away when you tell me this is an adaptation of a graphic novel, am I wrong to just immediately kind of wince a little bit? Oh, but the good news is this totally proves me wrong. Yeah, it absolutely does. And it's actually been adapted by the source material writer, and it's being directed by Gina prince by the Wood, who did Love and Basketball. She's done a lot of indie dramas. She hasn't done... That, uh, Beyond the Lights. Yeah, Beyond the Lights. Mm -hmm. She hasn't done an action movie before. I think that's good. In it, this case, because it, it shows a fresh perspective. Yes. yes, it turns out that it is because it's a, a little bit of a by the numbers kind of a superhero story, you know. But what she does, first of all, is assemble an absolutely spectacular cast. That helps. And, yeah. yeah, it does. And then the other thing she does is treat it a little bit more like a military film than mm -hmm. like a superhero movie. Yeah, it's interesting because, as you say, this is adapted. The screenplay is uh, done by Greg Rucka, who also did the graphic novel series. And and right away, I think sometimes, again, preconceived notions. I think, ooh, sometimes when that happens, you, you got to make sure that the original author is reined in a little bit, because there's obviously two different things, a graphic novel and uh, a movie. And it's totally understandable for them wanting to have their complete vision up on the screen. It can get a little bit too much sometimes. And um, it's good that this appears to be a good partnership between him and, and the director. And the other thing, I mean, I, I don't think you can say enough about this cast. Now, first of all, Charlize Theron, who there's nothing she cannot do. We haven't seen it, really. No. <laughs> I mean, she's she's one of the very few people who is just as at home in an independent drama as she is in a comedy, as she is in an action movie. Yeah. You know, and she's just effortlessly badass, as we've seen. Well, Furiosa, that's one of the greatest action Atomic heroes Blanc. of all time. Atomic yeah. Blonde, she was yeah. great. And she's the leader of this squad of immortals. And she does a, a spectacular job, very understated, very weary, uh, which you would be after thousands of years of doing this, right? But it's not just her. Their first real adversary is played by the absolutely always magnificent Chuetel Ejiofor. Yes, and he has been, he's not been in enough lately. No, I, he hasn't. I haven't seen him for a while, and it's always such a great treat to see him, whatever he's doing. It is. I totally agree. And then Matthias Schoenhart, who's another guy who is not necessarily somebody you expect to be in an action movie. You yeah. know, he's a great indie, very versatile actor. And then the other lead, really, in this film is 
Kiki Lane, who was the lead in If Beale Street Could Talk. Now, this is her first big action movie, and she does a fine job. So that's what I think is one of the things that's great about this is that they start off with Shirley Saron, and you said incredibly versatile, incredibly talented Oscar winner, and they surround her with other very versatile very talented actors who you wouldn't necessarily peg for action. Yeah, and Kiki Lane is a great surprise because she's totally well, she looks totally different than she did in Beale Street Could Talk. Right. You know, and that but that character, that it makes sense because that character was so so soft. Yes. And they photographed her so soft yeah. and as you mentioned, sort of a cheesecloth kind of a thing. But here Another badass. Yeah, that's right. She's so a Marine. her look is more sharp, sharper edges. She's yes. ready to go. Yeah, and it's not. It's also the way she carries herself, the way mm-hmm. she moves and she walks. She's somebody that you don't think to yourself, this is an actor who has been. You know, she seems like she knows how to throw a punch. <laughs> and there's a lot of punches thrown. There's a lot of bullets shot, and there's a lot of sword play. I mean, you know, I, I don't want you to think that because we're talking about sort of the caliber of actor that this isn't an action movie because. It is. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think works in its favor is that because it's treated, you know, like a tactical exercise with military, when they do get into the battle sequences, they're very impressive. I think they stand out a little more. Yeah, and I think the thing that elevates this movie, especially when I'm thinking about the last graphic novel adaptation I saw, Bloodshot, this one has so much more commitment to character. It does. Whereas it doesn't have as many action sequences, but like you just said, the ones it does have pop all the more for the way the characters are fleshed out. And that's what rises it to the top of this graphic novel uh, group, I think. Yeah. While it is more committed to character, again, I think partly because of the caliber of these actors, it doesn't get bogged down. You know, there's mm-hmm. only one particularly, li- it's not super long, but it's a little bit of a soliloquy. And it's absolutely beautiful and filmed in such a great way. And then bodies fall about the place right <laughs> afterwards. So, I mean, she, you know, by the way, does a great job of keeping your attention, getting your investment. And then, you know, with some with some great action payoffs. And, and again, you know, I think that one of the things that you can expect in a graphic novel adaptation or any kind of a superhero movie is that there are moments of where they, they want your emotional buy-in. Yeah. And this film does it without leading you, without manipulating you, without the swelling strings and the heavy sentiment. Right. I mean, and again, I, a lot of it is because these handful of short scenes that draw your emotion, they're delivered by people like Chuetelegi for, you know, and Charlize Theron and Matthias Schoenhardt. I mean, really, really good, understated actors. And um, I, I just was so impressed by this movie. Yeah, and and now we see that the director who we've seen do the, the tender can now do the tough and oh, yeah. do the action oh, yeah. and, and, and bring it on. And if you're thinking, well, it's a series of graphic novels, does that mean they're trying to kick off a franchise here? Yes, it does. Yeah, it does seem uh, like it, doesn't it? <laughs> if you didn't think so, stick around, not all the way through the credits, but a couple of minutes, or, yeah. or at least a minute, yeah. you get an extra scene that you'll definitely want to stick around for. But yeah, we, we really enjoyed The Old Guard, and you can find that right now on Netflix. Moving to Apple TV next, early in World War II, an inexperienced U.S. Navy captain must lead an Allied convoy being stalked by Nazi U-boat wolf packs. This is Greyhound. Congratulations on your first command at last. I'll always be looking for you, Evie, even if I'm a thousand miles away. Air escort to Greyhound. You will now be out of range of air cover for the next five days. How many crossings does this make? This was my first. I got some. Most likely a U-boat. 
He's trying to slip under us! Fire! We have hits directly on the convoy. The wolf bag's haunting us. You both starboard bound! We've lost seven ships and 50 souls. What you did yesterday? Got us to today. It's not enough. This is one that Tom Hanks, GD National Treasure, he doesn't just star in, but he wrote this one. Yes, he wrote the screenplay. It's based on a historical novel, but uh, Tom Hanks did write the screenplay. And it's directed by Adam Schneider, who I had to look him up, but he directed years ago a movie that you loved. Get Low. I liked it, too. I, I did love, Get low I did love Get Low. I did. Yeah, and Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. So look that up. But anyway, he's back, and you may have heard Tom Hanks recently had some quotes about being really disappointed that this movie was relegated to Apple TV. Now, that's not really a slam on Apple TV. It's just the fact that he really wanted to see it on the big screen, which would be great. And you find out why into the movie, because... Since it is set on the sea, World War II, there are some naval battles, some sea battles, and they would really pop a lot more on the big screen. But this is what we get, and it's still a very solid movie. Yeah, He plays uh, a captain who's really getting his first command of this Navy freighter, and they are going. They are part of a convoy going across the Atlantic Ocean in 1942, early on in the war, uh, taking supplies to... Allied forces in Great Britain. And during the first part of the journey, they have air support from air squad squadrons on our side. And then during the last part, they have air support from the, the British side. In the middle there, it's called the Black Pit. They don't have any air support. And that's when it is the most dangerous. And the definitely the uh, Nazi U-boats come a-calling. And so it's it's basically the thing. The nice thing about this movie is it gets up and goes. You don't you don't have much time to waste before they're they're on the mission and it starts getting tense and you start seeing these these fights between the uh, U boats and the uh, Navy freighters and it is very nicely paced and it keeps tension. It's also very nicely detailed about obviously in a movie like this you're going to benefit from the claustrophobia yeah you know of uh, not not only the the submarines which we really don't spend much time in because that's the uh, Nazi side but the uh, the navy ships yeah still close quarters mm-hmm. and of course GD National Treasure Tom Hanks <laughs> is perfect who else is going to play the quiet hero the reluctant <laughs> hero it's mm-hmm. what he does. That's why he's a national treasure. And he does carve out a good character here, even though it's not as... The script doesn't really let him do it as deeply as as maybe more, much more resonant uh, war movies. Case in point, say, 1917, right. something like that. You don't feel it that deeply. But it is solid. It really is. It, it's solid. I think it's smart in the fact that it doesn't belabor a lot of points. Uh, it keeps things moving, and it gets in and gets out in about 90 minutes. But uh, it is overall, it is solid. Not the best war movie you're ever going to see, uh, but it really hits on all points. And I do agree that probably would have been better on the big screen, but sure. that's, that's the lot we're in right now. Mm-hmm. It really is. And uh, still, very solid job all the way around for, and it's, again, it's on Apple TV right now, and it is Greyhound. Hey, let's go to all the platforms. How about Hulu? Got you covered. When Carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated 
as they are unable to escape the venue, themselves, or each other. This is Palm Springs. Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm gonna get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. So now what do we do? You just have to embrace the fact that nothing matters. Let's waste some time. So this is just Andy Samberg starring in Groundhog Day. Well, a little bit, yes. Uh, He has to repeat the same day over and over. And if you're going to pick a day that you really don't want to relive, how about it if you are the plus one at a wedding? (laughs) That's the one he gets to relive over and over and over. He's stuck in this time loop. And by the time we catch up with, with him... He's kind of all right with it. He has found a way to live with it, uh, but he unwittingly brings in this maid of honor to the... He he tries to keep her away from it, but uh, her curiosity gets the better of her. And then she gets sucked into it, into this time-space, time-loop continuum, and uh, she's not happy about it whatsoever. So, yes, it is sort of a Groundhog Day, but... In a way, they, they, they also make fun of that, because if you remember how they got out of it in Groundhog Day, it was him learning to care about other people yep. and things like that. That's not how they get out of it here, but they make fun of the fact that that's probably what they need to do to get out of it. Uh, but it's not. And it's clever. It's very clever. The script was written by Andy Sierra, and it's directed by Max Barbacow. Not really big names, don't really know much about uh, what they have done. And for that matter, even the the, the female lead, uh, Kristen Milioti, haven't really seen anything that she's been on, but she's, she's fine, and they make a great match together. They have some good, in the beginning, conflict chemistry, you know, adversarial chemistry, and then it gets better, of course, as they warm up to each other. But Andy Samberg... He's very likable very. In, a, in a doofus sort of way. Yeah. Now he I, just Everything he does has a good-hearted nature yeah. about it. And I know the Lonely Island stuff doesn't really go down with a lot of people, including our son. Right. But <laughs> I think they're kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And here, this is not, honestly, it's not a laugh riot. It's not. I maybe was expecting a little bit more of a solid streak of laughs. But it is, it's very amusing. It's very clever. It's extremely likable. It's sweet in its message of, you know, learn to live with your mistakes, put your past behind you, let learn to let other people in, mm-hmm. things like that. And also J.K. Simmons. Right! J.K. Simmons is great. As Ohio this, State fan. Yes. Yeah, well, he, he, he grew up here. Well, <laughs> yeah. he, he lived here early on. Anyway, he's great as Roy, a guy who just comes in every now and then and tries to kill Andy Sam. <laughs> Even though killing him really does nothing, it just puts him back in the next day. But still, Roy wants to hurt him, and (laughs) I won't say why. But all in all, I thought it was a real treat and went a long way toward erasing the bad taste of the wrong Missy, (laughs) which is a really bad taste, really bad taste (laughs) if you're looking for a romantic comedy. This is the one. You may not laugh uproariously throughout the whole thing, but it's clever. It's nice. I think you'll appreciate the way they do get out of it, and uh, it's really just a feel good, but in a raunchy kind of way, because it is rated R. Yep. And they have some 
some awkward sex scenes. You know, it's always like, oh, maybe I can look away. But uh, <laughs> but it's still, no, it's definitely worth it. I really enjoyed Palm Springs, and that is on Hulu. Hey, let's move to a creepy one next. Want to? A daughter, mother, and grandmother are haunted by a manifestation of dementia that consumes their family's home. This is Relic. Everything all right, Grant? I thought this was where it got in. Who? Whoever it was coming into the house. Mum, what is it? It's here. Under the bed. There's nothing under the bed, Mum. Will you check for me? I'm here to help you, Mum. I can see you. (laughs) This house seems unfamiliar. This is the feature debut as a director and co-writer for Natalie Erica James. And it's it's not a movie that really hides its themes, but it manufactures some good family creepiness. It definitely does that. It's Emily Mortimer, again, I mean, we're just going to keep going back to that, I think, today. But she's just, she's just a very solid talent. She, she really is. She's good in everything she does. And she is just she's she's very good in this as uh, a daughter who's been called back to her childhood home because neighbors are saying that her mother has been gone for days. They don't know where she is, but they haven't seen her in days. Mm -hmm. So Emily Mortimer brings her daughter with her, played by Bella Heathcote, and they set out to find grandma Mm -hmm. um, who shows up four or five days later in the house as if she (laughs) never left the house. Right. And it's it's an interesting movie. Uh, so you start to wonder, well, what is the deal with this house? You know, and a, a lot of times, especially in horror, the idea of sort of a haunted house or a house that you can't get away from, things like that. These are, you know, they're, they're usually used as a metaphor, maybe for madness or for loneliness. And James uses it as a metaphor here. But she doesn't hide that. I mean, right. you don't spend a lot of time in the twists and turns of the story, expecting it to be really a paranormal experience. Yeah, it's not something like a tale of family dysfunction on the order of, say, hereditary, no. which was much more abstract. Right. This is right in your face. Yes. Um, and it's not dysfunction, really, either. But it does, What one of the things I think that she does really beautifully is she, she does, the as a writer-director, doesn't shy away from all of the ugly things that are involved in dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, not just that it affects you, but the way it affects those around you uh, at the way, this maybe shameful way, you may respond to a parent with dementia or to a grandparent with dementia. Another thing that I think makes this movie really work is the performance of Robin Nevin, who plays the grandmother, who plays Emily Mortimer's mother, because she's absolutely not sort of, a, you know, your traditional wilting flower damaged, tender, sweet old lady at all. And the fact that she, the performance is so strong, the character, you know, has like such grit. I think it makes the movie feel less like it's this sympathetic tragedy and more, I think, believable, more resonant Mm -hmm. um, and more 
you know, kind of horrifying. And it's also, I think it benefits from, it's a slow burn kind of a thing, but also benefits in a way that we, we talked about the old guard. It benefits with the commitment it has to character yes. and taking the time to reveal the layers of these characters played by talented actors. Yes, all three, all three. It's a generational horror show and each generation is represented really, really well. Uh, with with very solid performances. And by the way, you can get this one on all the normal pay streaming platforms. But the good thing, it's only a five ninety nine dollars uh, rental. Nice. So that's an, even more of a reason to check out Relic. <laughs> Next up is a fascinating hybrid film experiment thing that looks at the final moments of a Las Vegas dive bar called the Roaring Twenties. This is Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Hello. Hello. You're just in time for the knot party. We're not having fun in celebration of not closing. Anybody want a drink, a shot, tell a story? What kind of a party is it if an Australian guy doesn't take his pants off? I've been saying that for years. You can always come to this ball and feel like family. Feel like but why some say the ball? This is the end. I'm gonna tell you what else it is. There's a place where you can go where, where nobody else don't want your ass. Look at that's in there. We got work in there. <laughs> to the bar! To the bar! We're to the Well, that's my favorite title in a while. Right. And you're thinking, well, why would what would that title have to do with uh, a dive bar? Well, that, a lot of times that's how you end up at the that's end of the right. night. You got a bloody nose and you got empty pockets. And also anyone, if you're, if you're like us, we spent many a year working in restaurants and bars. And uh, we've both bartended and I have bartended in something you might call a dive, almost kind of a dive. Would you call that a dive? Oh, my God. Those bathrooms. <laughs> it was like a war zone. <laughs> the bathrooms in the bar he's talking about are the nastiest <laughs> bathrooms I've ever seen in my life. But it was a bar right in the middle of the action at the Ohio State University. And uh, so it was th- filthy and it had a great jukebox okay. and a cheap beer. Dive, and, dive, dive. Okay. Anyway, the point is, if you've worked in those sort of environments, you're going to even have a deeper understanding for this movie. And why we say it's an interesting experiment, the the directors are the Ross brothers, Bill Ross IV and Turner Ross. And it's not a documentary per se, but yet they take some actors Mm -hmm. and throw them in with non-actors. So yes, they do pull some strings on staging some some events, but other times they just let it go and let it flow. So you can't really call it a documentary at all, but yet it's not a straight fictional narrative either. Well, for one thing, you'll notice that nobody's listed as the writer. Right. So it's entirely improvised. Mm -hmm. You have to think probably they threw out some ideas and filmed those ideas, but at the same time, it feels like a lived-in, drunken, Boy, celebratory last night at a yeah. very low-rent, yep. you know, strip mall bar. And they, they, they really drop us off. It's, it's the last day of business, but they drop us off in the, in the morning. Yeah. It's before noon. Yeah. And one of the regulars is just trying to get clean, and he shaves in the bathroom, mm-hmm. and he just sets himself up for another day at the bar. And then we kept, we check in with the daytime bartender who was hanging up some some decorations and things like that. And then throughout the day, we meet this parade of lost souls yep. that has come to call this place home. And the day turns to the night, and the watching Jeopardy on daytime TV turns to sing-alongs on the jukebox, and you just have a goodbye 
to this bar and to where these people congregate. And somehow it becomes character-driven as well because you meet these different people, and even though they don't have a lot of screen time, they're unique, and, they you, and you recognize, oh, there's the veteran, mm-hmm. and there's the woman that likes to pull her shirt up. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah. And, as, and, have, and there's the guy who starts out a poet and ends up trying to punch somebody in the nose. That guy, yeah, wearing a suit and a tie, and he just wants to fight at the end. And, and all these people, again, if you've ever spent time in these bars or worked in them, they're so recognizable. They really are. It's the kind of people that these bars have. Bar flies. Yes, and they're just going to be scattered without mercy when this bar closes. I think, you know, uh, we started watching this, and and I think maybe because it hit a little close to home, I just thought, oh, my God, I don't know. But I was so sucked into yeah, it. And it by, by two-thirds of the way through the movie, I'm looking at these faces going, what is this guy going to do tomorrow? Yeah. What's he going to do tomorrow when this bar isn't open for him to come to? I mean, it really, it's surprising because it's an incredibly loosely structured film yeah. with no real narrative, although there are character arcs, but you just really do get attached to these people. It does. I felt the same way about it, and I was definitely sucked in. And then the nighttime bartender, Shay Walker, who you may remember from, she's an actress, she... um uh, she was in Wendy. Wendy. She was the this mom year. in Wendy. And she there's a side bit where she has to try to keep an eye on her teenage son and his friends and try to keep him from smoking weed and stealing beer. And that gives you a little sense of the fact that how the outside world is ready to move on. And they're just gonna forget about this place and that it ever existed. And it also reminded me of the Florida Project. Yeah. In the way that the Florida Project was set up, you know, right outside Disney World. Yeah. And it's about all the the different um, environment and people that are living on the outskirts of such a tourist mecca mm-hmm. with bright lights and big dollars and all this stuff. And these people are the outsiders. Yeah. And this is the same way set up outside Las Vegas. And these people are outsiders, but I don't even think they care about looking in anymore. No. They've given no. that up a long time ago. Yes. And interestingly enough, the the uh, Turner Brothers, they did film a lot of, a lot of the exteriors in Vegas, but... They had to go to New Orleans. The bar they're actually filming in is New Orleans Bar. They had to go to New Orleans to find a bar that fit the bill. But still, it's set right outside of Vegas. And, yeah, just it's just fascinating. And if you check it out and feel like we did in the first few minutes, oh, I don't know, stick with it because it will suck you in and it feels, I don't care how much of this is staged and how much isn't, it feels real. It does. These people feel real, especially, if again, if you've ever... Uh, seen these types of atmospheres and experienced these types of people. It, it feels so real and very much recommend Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. I love that title, too. Let's wrap it up with a Shudder original. A romantic getaway for two troubled college sweethearts turns into a struggle for survival when unexpected guests and the surrounding environment exhibit signs of a mysterious infection. It's the Beach House. Hello? What is going on? I don't know. Something from the water. I can feel it inside. What is it? I'm just having so much fun. I need a hospital. Oh, my dad. Don't be scared.
Here's another feature debut for the writer-director. This is Jeffrey A. Brown with a Shutter original. Liana Liberato yeah. stars. Yeah. And you may not know the name, but she's she's real young talent. She's done a lot of stuff. Uh, I first saw her in Trust, which was heartbreaking. Right. She's and then very she, talented. And then she's been good in bad movies, yeah. like If I Stay and The Best of Me, terrible movies that she always manages to make an impression in. Yeah, she does. And she makes an impression here. And it's a film that starts off feeling a little bit familiar. You know, they go to her boyfriend's parents' cottage thinking that they're going to have it to themselves. And then, uh-oh, somebody's here. And then they kind of try to build a little bit of tension so that the people who were there maybe think that the two young people are something villainous and vice versa. But it's it's interesting the way they shoot that because it is in a very fascinating sleight of hand. That's not the story at all. Not mm -hmm. one iota. And I like the way... Brown builds up your expectations and dashes them, and, yeah. and he does it several times throughout the film. Yes, I always love that. That's not easy to do. It isn't. It takes some good writing to do that, and, and good sleight of hand visually as well as a director, so uh, well done. Yeah. What he's really doing instead is he introduces you right away to this relationship that isn't going where it ought to go. She's very, very smart, and she's finishing college, and she needs to go start her master's work to um, get the kind of employment that she's looking for afterwards. And he is an entitled, <laughs> spoiled, rich boy who's used to making bad decisions, apologizing for them sincerely, mm -hmm. and never thinking for a second he still shouldn't be the guy making decisions. That's a tough role, and Noah LaGrosse does a really good job of making this character feel like somebody you know uh -huh. and making him weirdly sympathetic. That's Even that's the tough thing. Yeah. That Even though you want to strangle him, <laughs> but you don't actually hate him. And that's important because otherwise you're asking yourself, what is she doing with this guy? Sure, sure. You have to find a reason to believe she would be with him. And you see so many movies where they try the same thing, and you don't feel that at all. No. Why would she be with him? Right. But here, like you said, if you can even manage an ounce of sympathy, then boom, he's got you. Yeah, and and it's a really good performance, and it's a pretty well-written role as well, because I don't think the film wants the audience to hate it, but at the same time, they want us to be frustrated with him, and we are. <laughs> but then the other thing that is great is the couple. The problem is that he didn't ask his dad to use the cottage, and the dad has already lent it out mm -hmm. to uh, friends of theirs, which is an older couple, and the husband of which is Jake Weber, who if you watch very many horror films, you'll recognize the always likable Jake Weber yes. from the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Yes. So noble at the end of that. Exactly. But he has that noble face. He and, does. And he is likable. You're right. And, and he's great here because he just plays the guy who, he's always looking for that ray of sunshine, you know? <laughs> and then eventually... There's no more sunshine, Jake Weber, and uh, and he makes a pretty drastic decision. So what it eventually is, where you think it's going to be sort of a vacation horror that involves strangers, it doesn't end up being that at all. It gets a little Lovecraftian, and it and when it does turn a little Lovecraftian, it gets a little Cronenberg, which, as you know, is my favorite left turn to take in a mm -hmm. horror movie. We yep. get some some fairly inspired body horror, not enough of it, to be honest with you. And uh, a lot of the goodwill that the film builds up in its first act and a half, it, it starts to lose toward the end because it really begins to rely too heavily on tropes. Yeah. But it's got a great last image, a great one, delivered by a very, very talented young performer. And it's so it's not a great movie, but it's not bad. Well, you know, even so, I think Shutter Originals lately have been on an uptick. Because we just talked about Metamorphosis. I felt kind of mm -hmm. the same way about that. Okay, it's no classic, but yeah, 
it's 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 worth your time, especially yeah. obviously if you have Shutter. Right. Uh, I would say check it out. They've been on been on a little uptick lately, and that's a Shutter original called The Beach House. Still no lobby, so we will just, and it probably won't be a lobby for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> as we look for new releases that uh, aren't really new releases. So we'll go right to next week, and we're looking at In Bright Axiom. That's an interesting title. Yeah, it's a weird movie. Lake of Death, that's the next Shutter original we're going to talk okay. about. Okay. Ghosts of War. Mm-hmm. And then another World War II drama called The Painted Bird. Ooh, okay. And I imagine there'll be some other things pop up. No doubt. In there as well. So in the meantime, what do you think about anything this week? Uh, love to talk about them. Love to keep the conversation going. Or or from our top ten of half the year from last week's That's podcast. That's right. We still talk about that as well. Whatever you want. Get in touch. Easy way is on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can get all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club, that can be found at MadWolf.com. So appreciate you stopping by the screening room as always. Do us a favor if you would and subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much. And until next week, she's Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>